Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of Mega Ten Marathon, which is a game-by-game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. I am Paul M. Davis, and who am I here with? It's me, it's Brian. How's it going, everybody? Hey, I'm Evan. And I'm Ian. Hooray! We're all here. Thank you for joining us, Ian. This is our th- your third episode in a row. Man, it's like yeah. you're part of the podcast. I'm a podcasting pro. We're just gonna we're just gonna taxidermy you and just keep you there. Do you have to die first to be taxidermied? I think you Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think it'd be pretty painful if you weren't. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Well me and then I guess we'll just invite <laughs> you back sometime. But uh, <laughs> So how's everyone been? Oh, you know, doing all right. Surviving. Uh, I'm feeling very nihilistic. Like, uh, like there's nothing, there's nothing to live for in the world without a goal. And everyone wants something, no matter how small the desire, it gives them the strength (laughs) to go on. But if every desire is fulfilled, what's left to strive for? That's a good question. (laughs) A question we're going to answer tonight. You know, maybe this 20-year-old uh, PlayStation game can, uh, you know, can uh, serve as a uh, salve and a balm in our uh, troubled times. I don't want to take a, advice from Kendori. It's a salve with a little bit of lemon juice added in. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, uh, we're doing uh, the uh, final part of our series on the first Persona game. Which was released, uh, what was it, 96, 97 for the PlayStation 1. Um, and does anybody have like a tight wrap up of what happened previously? It was kind of a while ago, so. I know we were in a, uh, in a parallel dimension and we fought a uh, rat tank. I miss Tesso. Yeah. He was a good rat tank. And then we found some girl in a gingerbread house. But a lot of it's real hazy. Uh, we went to the mall and we encountered the those two kids who went missing. Oh, yeah. And one of them, the girl, was uh, turned into, like, a monster by Maki... No, Aki? My shit. There's so yeah, many was, Maki characters. It was a Aki. little evil girl. Um, and then we went and slapped her down. And then we went to the forest and met a little girl. Uh, and then we went to a castle and met a different little girl. But they're all the same girl. Yeah, there's a, multiple realities going on here. Uh, and Kendori is in with one of them because one of the little girls is evil. And one of the little girls is scared and we gave her a little pep talk. Um, and Kendori escaped into the real world and he like got the power from, I think, from the magic mirrors? And like took over the earth and made a giant, like, scary temple in Tokyo, maybe? And we were like, we should probably go stop him. And then the episode was over. Does that sound right? Yeah, sounds sounds about right. He kind of goads you at the end of the last one. He says, like, come, meet me in my world if you're ready. For some reason, that's making me think of that terrible um, Guns N' Roses song that's a ripoff of Nine Inch Nails. (laughs) <laughs> it's like at the end of User Illusion 2. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Go, he goads you on to uh, 
come back to your world and uh, take him on. So you are looking for a portal uh, at the beginning of the segment that we're doing today. And um, this means you're going to head over to uh, the Haunted House, which is another real pain in the ass dungeon. Um, it's so good. Yeah. It's a haunted yeah. house. Yeah, it is. It is. There are, you know, as as per usual with haunted houses, a lot of dark areas, but this also means that they don't show up on your map. Yeah, that's pretty pretty terrible. <laughs> and uh, as you go through the uh, dungeon, you um, come across some scientists who are uh, worried about what Kendori is doing. And then outside of a big room, you hear a woman that's crying inside, and she says, I told her so many times not to come here. She'll get lost. Maki, where are you, Maki? And everyone thinks that it sounds like Maki's mom, but Maki insists that uh, she doesn't have a mom. So you go inside, and you find a demon. And uh, the demon... uh, and then um, Haridi is standing between you and a giant portal machine. And uh, the demon keeps on acting like she's Maki's mom. And uh, Evan, you said Reiji wants to destroy the demon? Yeah, at this point, Raiji just speaks up, but he's like, no, let's kill this immediately. Like, I don't care what it is or what it's trying to say. This is a demon and we have swords. Okay, so Raiji, is, as a character, is actually trying to fuck you up, eh? Like, actually get you the bad ending of the game. Well, it's not so much that he's trying to fuck you up as he's very uh, – throughout the entire game, every time you talk to him, he's very single-minded, very focused. All he really cares about is getting to Kandori and killing Kandori. That's his entire purpose in life. And anything that seems to distract from that or seems to be kind of a side diversion from that, he is very much not interested in. So I guess I meant more like from a design perspective. Like it seems like oh, yeah, yeah. That, might, that must be one of the major reasons he's there in terms of a mechanical purpose. I mean the way the way it plays out, it's he tries to get you to kill it. The rest of your a lot of your other party tells you not to, and it, it's kind of the same thing you see in most encounters where Raiji is really aggressive and wants to destroy everything. Mark is hey maybe maybe we should trust people and help and be nice. I wonder actually if there are any variables that change if you get Raiji and then go get the bad ending. Yeah, I wonder. I, I, I mean, I didn't have Raiji on my team. I was the one who uh, signed up for the bad ending, so... But I didn't have Raiji on my team, so yes, this was yeah, I just, totally a moot point for me. Just wondering. But anyway, go on. So you have two choices. If you refuse to fight the demon, um, she transforms you into... Uh, uh, or she transforms into Setsuko Sonomura who is my, uh, Maki's mom, and collapses. Am I supposed and to so, know that name? Uh, they mention her a couple of times. Like, you know, uh, Maki is introduced as uh, Maki uh, Sonomura. Uh, so uh, you met Maki's mom, like, way, way back. Yeah, back when you were trying to get into uh, Sebsec or whatever it was. She was an employee and she Oh, okay, yeah, that, that rings a bell. Right, so she died. Um, yeah, so in this world she appears as a demon instead of her real self. And uh, once she recovers, she tells you that Maki used to get lost in the haunted mansion as a kid. And she's used to looking for her here. Um, And so she dreamed that she was looking for Maki in the mansion and heard Maki calling out for her when she woke up. How many? Now, that's if you pursue the good ending. Wait, 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 wait. How many times does a child have to get lost in the haunted mansion 
before you t- like don't go to the haunted mansion, kid. <laughs> yeah. How, how does oh, the kid yeah. get to the haunted mansion? Oh, maybe I mean, she's a, maybe she's a single mom. You know, she had to have like multiple jobs. She couldn't really. <laughs> she's a single also, mom. Go to the haunted mansion, honey. I'll pick you up later. <laughs> I, I mean, to play to, devil's to, to play very very rural devil's devil's advocate for a second. I used to live behind this massive, like nearly a square mile of cornfields, and my parents really did not like me playing in those cornfields because there were snakes and shit. I was in those cornfields every second they turned their back. So I, I am unsurprised by this. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's a good route. If you take the bad route, this is the really kind of decisive point. Uh, there's been uh, previously there's previously been opportunities to uh, kind of uh, set you down the bad towards the bad ending, but this is really like kind of the real decisive point. Um, and the bad ending is partially triggered by you choosing to fight the demon who is also Maki's mom or Maki's mom in the other reality. Um, it's a pretty easy fight, all things considered, but uh, Maki is not going to help you during the fight, so you only have four party members. And uh, once you take her down, uh, the portal to the other reality is about to collapse, and so Maki's mom says that she's going to stick around and keep it open for you so you can ba- get back to your reality. Um, either way, uh, you get through and you uh, head back to your world to uh, defeat Kendori. And everything's bad and terrible. Oh, no. Uh, the portal, when you go through, you wind up in the Davis system chamber where you like initially got transported to the other world. And uh, Dr. Nikolai's there. The like old scientist who like helped create the Davis system, and then he tried to sacrifice himself, and there was like a big hullabaloo about what you were supposed to do, uh, like whether you wanted to save him. That didn't really end up mattering too much, but he is acting like because you know him as like the kind old man who was compassionate and wanted to save the world, uh, but he's like ranting about how he wants to destroy humanity. <laughs> so uh, things like right away, people were like, "Oh, maybe something's a little weird." Um, so Kendori shows up and he reveals that now that he has this incredible godlike power, uh, humanity just in general has kind of like adopted his worldview and the like desire for annihilation. And um, he's like, and I'm going to give it to him, but I'm going to make him wait for it. <laughs> and then he teleports away because he's a terrible mustache twirling villain. Um, so when you leave, uh, you notice that the building has been changed and the whole place has been transformed into this, like, Babylonian-looking, like, SMTS, SMT temple. <laughs> um, so you kind of start making your way back through there and, oh boy, it's like every dungeon now has a gimmick and they're all stupid. They're, like, it's never cool. It's just, it makes not. you... All stu- stupid. Okay, they're pretty stupid. I want the. They're not terrible. The they're just like there's got to be a good gimmick dungeon, right? Like they keep trying and they keep coming. They know they don't come close to a good idea, but it's like you can see where their heart was. Yeah, de- like it's definitely yeah. they're clearly trying to make things more interesting when really they're just making you do more things. Uh, but they're not. 
like fun or satisfying there's just more things that you do yeah come. and it, it became very apparent how tacked on the minimap system is on the psp version i think in these last few dungeons because there were clearly oh, yeah. times where you weren't supposed to know there was a path but it was <laughs> highlighted on the minimap yeah and that that's a big one in this dungeon because they're like a lot of paths are closed off and you have to like navigate the maze and find switches to open them and then you have to remember where they were and go find them and the minimap really trivializes that even more than it already was mm-hmm. so it's, you're just hope you like random encounters boys <laughs> um, yeah, the, the only thing about this dungeon that was even remotely memorable for me aside from the two switches is that so top to bottom this dungeon is full of scientists and people that are just frothing at the mouth about yes we're going to destroy the world humanity needs to be annihilated except for one dude there's one dude in this entire dungeon that's like I don't know what's going on everybody wants to kill themselves it's terrible <laughs> what's happening yeah it's super good it's like some guy stuck in middle management who's like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like the continuous dichotomy of this game where what I'm doing is stupid, but like the flavor around it is so, so good. Um, yeah, absolutely. So you get to the sixth floor and there's this puzzle room where, um, okay, the floor lights up if you step on a tile and then it turns off if you step on it again, like one of those. But then there are lights on the ceiling that don't turn on and off, and they're in the pattern of a cross, and you have to make the floor lights match the ceiling lights, and it's um, not as easy to figure out as that made it sound. So Yeah, I I didn't realize it until I looked it up. uh, Okay, no, I would never have noticed it was a puzzle until until pointed out to me, because this game doesn't train you for puzzles. It's no fair when a game that is not about puzzles suddenly inserts one and expects you to figure it out. Like, that's just not what my muscle memory is for your game, man. And this is literally the only time in the game the ceiling ever comes into play. Ever, ever. Or even the fact that there's detail in the background of a dungeon tile. When does that ever matter? Um, Never again. (laughs) And uh, so actually doing, like, putting in the correct answer... I thought was pretty easy. The game gives you a way to basically backstep and do one tile at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just like move forward, move back, move forward, move forward, move back, move forward. Like two forwards and one back, basically. Anyway. Yeah, like it's not hard. It's just one of those things where it's not intuitive and you just... Like, once you know what you're doing, you can do it. There's just no reason for you to know what you're doing. Yeah, it's tedious and weird and out of place, and uh, it's a bad move. Oh, it's like a PS1 JRPG puzzle. Huh. <laughs> weird. Um, weird how that worked out. Or a Persona Q puzzle, but we'll talk about that at a later date. <laughs> um, so you do the puzzle, and you unlock the door that it locks, and Kandori's in there and he's just kind of like lounging on the floor like a real piece of shit um <laughs> and he's sitting with aki who is the the evil dark little girl um and she's like oh man i'm gonna beat the shit out of you guys i don't want you to mess with my dad anymore and kendori's like aki chill out get out of here um hey guys let's talk let me try to convince you of my stupid worldview um so he goes on this like super long monologue about how people aren't strong enough to live in the world without a goal and everyone wants something no matter how small the desire and that's what gives them the strength to go on but if every desire is fulfilled then what's left to strive for and 
wouldn't it be better if one chose not to ascend the stairs of desire and everyone in your party with uh, so that's stupid and boring and just like generic jrpg villain gobbledygook and it's great because everyone in your party is like what are you talking about grow the fuck up you're an adult man like chill out um and he like gives them all like the the same like question of like oh what are you living for and they're like uh i don't know other people like (laughs) come on um so he asks you um why you cling to life and it gives you like a little dialogue option and you can say the same thing that you told to the little girl my earlier uh, is that you're looking for a reason to cling to life and that's like why you do it um and then Najo steps in, like, bringing things right back. And he's like, oh, Kanjori, you're just, like, a piece of shit. And you're all, like, insecure. And you're projecting that onto everybody else. And, like, you're not a god. You're just, like, a scared little boy. And Kanjori's like, eh, it's true. So fight me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <coughs> you have a boss fight with Kendori, And he is super easy. Like he goes down like a chump. Um, I don't think he has any weaknesses. Does he? Uh, he's weak to, um, holy or light damage. Oh, okay, cool. Then I imagine that would make that even easier than it already was. But he, like you could like push him lightly on the shoulder and he would fall over. Um, but once you do beat him, then his persona, uh, like, comes out of his body and it's like oh that's weird and it's Nyarlathotep um, and he's like oh ho actually I was pulling the strings the whole time and now I'm going to empower you to kill everybody because that's what I want to happen and uh, Kendori is not super thrilled with that development um, and he is like possessed by Nyarlathotep and he becomes God Kendori um, <laughs> and he looks like like a Buddha statue but with like a vagina on its face and a dude poking out of that vagina. Um, Which is a consistent theme for some of the bosses in this game at this point. Yeah, and that's going to happen again later. Um, but uh, his like stats and everything change, but he's still... like. Did anyone have any trouble with Kendori, like either form? With who? God Kendori. Kendori? Regular mm-hmm. Kendori? I don't I don't recall this boss fight at all. No, <laughs> yeah, I seriously really Yeah. Easy peasy. This, this was a really quick one, especially if you had the right uh, light and dark skills. And one thing I've noticed is a lot of these uh, late game bosses have two phases, and the mm-hmm. first phase is a pushover, so you could actually use the first phase to buff the hell out of your team. Uh, so that by the time you get to the second phase, which is theoretically going to be challenging, you already have your magic, your attack, your dodge, everything just through the roof. Evan? Evan? Yes? I never buffed. Not a <laughs> single time in this entire game did I buff. Brian! <laughs> no! It didn't... I mean, I didn't you need don't to. need to. It, the battles to. weren't difficult. It was just random encounters would sometimes randomly kill me. That was the only thing that was difficult about this game. Oh man, I buffed like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Like, there, there's something real satisfying about doing an attack and, oh, 945 damage. Yeah, I'm happy with that. <laughs> I bet. I just, I never saw, the, I, personally, how, like, every time I got, I never was underleveled when I got to a boss. Never once. Uh, or at least it never felt that way, because I, I, I think the longest, like, the last boss took me, like, 40 minutes, but 
it's infamous for doing that. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. I, I think that I think we've talked about this before, but um, I've got this weird mental block with JRPGs where I just have this resistance to buffing unless I absolutely have to, and I can't beat a boss without buffing. Oh, um, you're gonna have to get over that real quick. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've sort of learned my lesson in playing all these SMT games, but it gets <laughs> but still it's it's a hard important. habit to break. That'll be more important the deeper you guys get into this series. Yeah, like I, so that, I do it in other in the other games. It's just in this one, I never it just never felt mandatory to move on. Well, yeah. I, I had the same mentality as you, Paul. Whenever I played my first game, which was um, Strange Journey, mm-hmm. that game gets downright punitive if you aren't doing that. And it wasn't until I played Persona Four that I was like, oh, this makes all these bosses a pushover. And so now, I just I, something broke through, and now I do it every single. Mega 10 game, it's the first thing I try to do is find some buff spells. Right, right. Yeah, I think Persona 4 was the first SMT game I played where I actually like had to figure out how the buffing works. You know you know yeah. what I'm uh, looking forward to, guys? What's that? The, the Taurus boss in SMT 3. I've only oh, heard yeah. stories about like how it just shows you that you're playing the game wrong, but <laughs> I'm very excited to see it. If you're if you're doing it right, if you're you know fusing demons and stuff, you it's not as bad as people like to think it is. Well, that's it's the thing. Just, if you're doing it right, and it's it's a check to make sure you're doing it right. Yeah, from you my guys, understanding, you guys know the score. So I, I I I'm very interested to hear everything about Nocturne. Fair enough. I guess with Nocturne, um, like it's a PS2 JRPG. People probably just picked it up. Looking at it, thinking, "Oh, this is a JRPG. This looks like it could be fun." And it was the first one on the PS2. Yes. So, like, it was a lot of people's first game, and that like whole like there is a shift in that PS2 era towards like less about being leveled and being powerful, and more about making proper use of the like gameplay tools the game gives you. Oh yeah. Level doesn't matter as much as being the right level to be able to have the right skills. Mm-hmm. And that's there's a little bit of that in these early ones, but not nearly as much. And uh, I think they're a little more boring. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so you slap down Kandori, and after the fight, he's like super chill and like nice to you for kind of. I mean, I guess he's grateful that you like freed his immortal soul from HP Lovecraft possession, but um, <laughs> so he kind of like explain to you well you sort of know what's going on like everyone's kind of figured it out but he like spells it out for you that um so the two worlds he explains that you guys are from one world that was like okay actually i'm not 100 percent sure on is he saying that the world that we're from is imaginary no no, Our world is real. World. Okay. We, we are in a real world, right. and the other exists inside. Maki. Maki's been, like, dreaming the other world, and the Maki we've been rolling with the whole time in the game is the fake Maki from, like, like Maki's, like, ideal self that she's created because she's, like, a coward. Um, and the game basically just drops the mic on you. Oh, yeah. Uh, they explain that Mai and Aki, the two little girls, are, like, also... Like shadows of Maki's heart, and like everyone in that other world is part of Maki, but those two are like the dichotomy between like the two like halves of herself. And um, 
when she got into her accident because she's in the hospital all the time, she created this other world as like an imaginary paradise, and that's why there's no police station and no hospital in the other world because like in a paradise we wouldn't need those things. And there's like, no crime and there's no injury. And like why her specifically like her enemies are turned into these monstrous creatures, such as the the painting right. girl or her mother. Yeah. Um so our Maki is she doesn't take this super well and she like runs off and Kendori's like, Hey, uh, you guys should probably go, uh, go get that solved. Cause probably going to be problems if we just let her run around doing whatever she wants. Um, <laughs> and then he dies and everyone's like, Oh, okay. I thought the game was going to be over, but I guess not. Um, cause we've been in the climax of the game for like five hours and it's, it's going to be a while before we get out of it. Well, it could be. Yeah, it could. This could be your ending. We're almost, we mm-hmm. could almost be done with the game. Oh. Uh, so, so throughout this entire game, in almost every scene, after something happens, you can talk to your party. Usually it's not interesting, but there's a couple of neat tidbits here. Uh, for one thing, like Nanjo and the other guys are like, man, Kendori finally seems relaxed and happy now that he's fucking dead. Like now that he's finally dead, he's cool. You could say that about a lot of people. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, but everybody except for uh, Ken, everybody except for Raiji is stoked. Uh, Raiji is kind of standing there, looking at his hands, like I finally killed the bastard. Then why this empty feeling? Which is exactly what Kandori warned him about. Like he'd been the only thing he cares about is killing Kandori, and now that Kandori's dead, eh, uh. Incidentally, this never goes anywhere. Uh, this is the last time that gets brought up, and for the rest of the game, Raiji's pretty chill and happy. So he just sticks around? So, Oh, he sticks around. He's he's fine. He's happy. He's like, well, I mean, yeah, I guess I kind of want to save Mackie, too, so I'll keep helping. It was like uh, the one thing on his bucket list. Like, <laughs> yeah. Kill Kandori. <laughs> uh, but but he, really, he really mellows out from here, and it's, it's kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing, actually. I mean, like, because he's kind of the only party member who has any real story. Like, Nanjo does a little bit, but everyone else is just kind of like, oh, we're cool teens, and we're going to do this because that's what protagonists do. And Raiji has, like, actual motivations that are different. Yeah, and and just to refresh people on that, it's because um, Kandori is Raiji's half-brother from his father who slept with their mom and basically dumped her as a whore and said, I'm done with you. So... Raiji, uh, and incidentally, Raiji is not just interested in killing Kandori. Uh, he says right before the fight, he wants to make sure that Kandori dies and every member of Kandori's bloodline dies with him. <laughs> which is really fucked up. That's hardcore. <laughs> okay, so that happens. And then Should you. We- Oh, sorry, Ian. Oh, no, go so, ahead. Should I jump to, uh, should I just do the uh, bad ending jump in here? Because this is where. Oh, yeah. It kind of. Okay, cool. So, yeah, this is where uh, it can kind of uh, fork off if you are going after the, uh, if you're not trying to get the good ending or you've locked yourself out from getting the good ending. Um, and so if this is the case, um, if you don't have the chaos mirror, uh, you are now having to go down to the fourth floor and you have to do this without, uh, Maki in your party. So you're down one unit. Um, 
And actually, as far as like being, you know, locked into uh, an ending in a Persona or SMT game, this is actually surprisingly non-punitive. If you realize that you're going down the path, um, there's actually a workaround um, where you can find an area in the dungeon that'll send you back in time and uh, you'll rediscover a shard of the Chaos Mirror and it'll send you back to the Black Forest and you can talk to... It's Mai in the Black Forest, right? Yes. Yeah, it's Mai. Yeah. Yeah, you can talk to Mai and uh, go through the dialogue tree that uh, sets you up for the good ending and basically you can replay the previous third of the game again if you want to uh, retry. Um, otherwise, now that you're uh, on the fourth floor, you walk into a room that you couldn't get into before, and you walk over a pit, and uh, that takes you to the bad conclusion of the game, which is uh, that your team arrives in a hospital room, and uh, you find a mermaid-looking woman who's in the tank of a research lab, Um and there, uh, the bad version of Maki is blaming the good version of Maki for all the harm that she's done, for killing Daddy and the like. Um, and then all these clone Makis start showing up. Oh. And they start, share, they start blaming one another for all the terrible things that have uh, transpired. Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, I saw uh, pipes up to say that it was all Kandori's fault, but uh, Maki takes a responsibility, and uh, she gives us this really, really long explanation of how her greed or self-centeredness or whatever, or nastiness to others, made these fat made uh, made her want to destroy the world and create her own. And so then the uh, young white dress girl shows up. And uh, she says a few uh, incan- incantations in Latin, I think, and uh, then uh, fucks right off. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so in this case, uh, the game ends with our world, uh, with our world's Maki still stuck in a coma. Uh, the other Maki having disappeared. And then a magic shine of some sort falling over this like really long mirror that's in the hospital room. Um, and after that, there's like post game text crawl that tells you that the world's eyes were on Mirage Cho after the incident, but uh, eventually silence returned to town. And despite heavy press attention on Seabeck and Kandori, uh, the students more or less kept their uh, anonymity. And then, uh, in kind of a uh, preview of uh, Persona Games to Come. There is a uh, ending crawl that says, As time passed, people seemed to try their hardest to forget the events that transpired. Time marched ever on, as if driven by something, or as if pursued by the repressed cells. The people lived their lives, day in and day out. And that is the end. That's a good ending. Oh, I like that. I, yeah, that's, yeah, it is. That's really interesting. Like There are some holes that it doesn't answer, obviously, uh, but... Even with the Seabeck route, there are some weird holes it doesn't really answer, but uh, that's a really good ending. And that's I like the I like the way it mirrors the good ending, but with just this kind of vague unease. Like I actually got yeah. goosebumps when you read that last bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is like shockingly similar actually to like what happens, if not like the context for it. But we'll get there. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting when you compare it to some of the other uh, quote-unquote bad endings in the SMT and Persona games that feel really, really truncated, and you're like, uh, that's it? Yeah. Um, yeah, this this actually wraps up a lot of the uh, loose ends. And as far as like the pacing goes, it's not a terrible place to end the game either. No. I mean, everything after this point is a lot of grinding and really dull dungeons. And a lot of it, like a surprising amount of it. You all you did. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. There's some. There's a. There's a, a few things worth seeing, but yeah, you but you got the complete Persona experience, Paul. It doesn't really feel mechanically like the last two dungeons are all that necessary, but story wise, it feels more complete. Right. Yeah, that's kind of like the game leads you to believe that the confrontation with Kendori is like the definitive climax. And then it just keeps going for yeah, like a you think, while. You think you got to the top of the hill? Nah, son. It, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very persona like move to throw a boss at you. And they'd be like, actually, here's the real boss. Mm-hmm, the real yeah. boss is probably God or something. Yeah. They kind of <laughs> do that in every game, don't they? Hmm. I mean, to be fair, that's a pretty like JRPG move, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, the SMT and Persona games earn it a little bit more than a lot of other JRPGs. Oh, definitely. You know, where you're already dealing with gods and demons and other, you know, almighty and supernatural forces. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, I'm fine with that. Not so much. Yeah, yeah. A lot of JRPGs are like, uh, you go along and you go along and you go along and you get stronger and stronger. And like, hey, guess what? You're the son of a god. Also, yeah. I think this. I think this game, even with the bad ending, takes the cake for the uh, the smallest body count uh, SMT game in the series so far. The smallest body count Megaton game. Uh, aside from the people that lived in that block of your town that got destroyed and replaced with that weird, um, the weird castle for Kandori. The world hasn't died. Humanity hasn't been nearly wiped out. Virtually no genocide happened. That is true. Virtually none. You're right. We'll just reset the days since last genocide back down to <laughs> add a one think. to that. Anyway. Does <laughs> one named like, good guy character die in this game? You, you know, you're right. I don't think they do. Because it seems like Maki's mom does, but then she's fine later. Yeah, what what is this softball garbage, Atlas? Uh, <laughs> SMT is a game for real, man. We like grit and murder. <laughs> um, so if you don't get the bad ending, if you play the game like a cool guy, like the rest of us did, um, then you have to go back down to the third floor, of the temple and uh, a room that was like locked that you couldn't get through before opens up and inside is this hospital room where the real Maki is lying and she's like in a coma and she's like in like a hospital bed and she's got like the medical like stuff all hooked up to her but all that stuff is hooked up to like the core of the Davis system and this is also where like other world Maki who you've been rolling with this whole time has ended up and uh, Mai and Aki or wait, no. Just my the girl in black is there, but now they're just calling her Maki, um, and she's upset because you murdered Kandori, who you know was like her dad. 
Uh, she's like, oh, that was the only person I could ever rely on, and no one can save us now, and it's all over. And she's, you know, inconsolable, and no one really cares because she sucks. So, like, the other world, Maki, is upset because she, like, you know, so, destroyed part of the town and, like, hurt everyone. So let me get this straight. Candori mm-hmm. figured yes. out a way to travel between dimensions. Yes. And that the other dimension is the sleep dream of a girl in a coma. Uh-huh. And they, but otherwise, have no relation to each other. So th- there's a little bit of a relation because uh, Maki's mom worked for Kandori, and Maki's mom helped develop the Diva system, so, which are the Deva system. So, so like... Okay. They say, they, they say that... Basically, they explain that even though the world was created before the diva system went online. Somehow Maki, because Maki had interfaced with that system in the future, it iterated back through the past and created the world as a result of that weird experiment. Like her mom was straight up using her to help with this experiment. All right. Okay. They they never explain why, but they explain how in excruciating detail. And it's so (laughs) dumb and incomprehensible. But if it, it doesn't like really it would, matter. Uh, it would have made more sense if they left the entire diva system out of the equation, and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, her will, her will was so strong and terrible that it created this world, and it's all about human will and self." And that would have been good. But they have to throw this dumb technology in there, and it would have been like thematically consistent and like in line with other things that happened in the game regarding like people's like. We spent a lot of time talking about people's wills and how that like affects the world. Ian, you say it doesn't matter, but just you wait for the Snow Queen quest. <laughs> oh, okay. It, it's not that crazy, but... No, 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 no I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I it's kind of like... It's kind of like when theoretical physicists are like, oh, we might be just living in this giant simulation. It's like, okay, that's a cool thought experiment, but uh, what does that actually look like? Or what does that actually mean? So... <laughs> I wonder if part of why they throw the diva system in here is because uh, from the very first game, it was all about technology creating demons, like the digital devil story. I wonder if this isn't them still feeling like they have to be attached to – it has to be computerized. It has to be computers. Mm-hmm. This is a Megami Tensei game. It has to involve the devils being digital at some degree. Computers mm-hmm. are the future. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably Computer right. Demon. I think it's just, you know, they weren't, yeah, they weren't comfortable, like, radically shifting the tone to another, like, thing yet. And, and that's fine. It's, 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 it's growing pains. But, like, ultimately, the plot at this point started really working for me. Oh, yeah. Like, basically, once you teleport back into the real world, like, I'm super down with everything that happens. Because they really start, like, digging into the... I mean, it's all Maki, but, like, they make Maki into a character, a real person. Yeah. And it's pretty good. Like, it is, like, it feels like Persona writing. Yeah, it's a lot like, it's a lot like Persona 4, where you, you have that arc for each character, where you go into a dungeon, you expose what they're worried about, what their uh, hang-ups are, and then you help them, like, you, you help them actualize, like, okay, this is me, this is a part of me, I have to accept this. And, yeah, like, this last dungeon, it's like, okay, this is Persona, I get it now, this is... This is what I like about this series. So Maki, um, she explains, like, she has this, like, huge monologue where she talks about how she was, you know, after the accident, she was stuck in bed all the time and, like, 
sick and everything and everyone else was out hanging out and enjoying the sunlight and going to restaurants and laughing and joking and wearing cute clothes and she was wearing like a nightgown and like dying um (laughs) and she like was super jealous of everyone and like but she knew that that sucked and that was like a shitty feeling so she like also had all this self-loathing that started to build up and uh she she like wanted the school to be like and the whole town to be like swallowed up and she was like well that's a bad i shouldn't be thinking that and i hate myself for thinking that so like in the midst of all these like weird confused feelings she dreamed up the ideal like dream town that you spend a lot of time in and uh, the young maki says oh uh, everything's over and everyone should just disappear and then she she disappears and the other world maki's like uh okay well it's been fun but like i'm not real so i can't (laughs) hang out with you guys anymore um but like really thanks it was cool um and then she turns into the the black compact mirror and asks to be sent back into her heart and she vanishes and uh everyone's like okay that was weird and nanjo comes out and he's like hey we should definitely definitely destroy the deva system and like Maki will die, but you know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one sick girl. Um, <laughs> and well, Marcus, put it like that, I don't, yeah. Well, like how, that's how he puts it. Would the, would destroying the Deva system really fix the problem, though, Nanjo? Like, there's still like this big ziggurat in the middle of the city, isn't there? Yeah, Nanto seems very confident for like, <laughs> like in, that this is what's going to happen for no reason because he's a punk seventeen-year-old who, as far as we know, doesn't know anything about super science. But uh, <laughs> everyone's just like taking him at his word, which they always he is, do. He is very rich. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> um, so Mark gets real mad at him. He, like Mark like actually punches him and is like, "No, that's we're not doing that. That's not cool because that is they just they have the same argument they always have where Nanjo is dispassionate but like calculating and looking at the greater picture, and Mark is very compassionate and like values individual life." Boy, so, like it took me until the end of the game to realize like actually how good their characters are in this game. Like yeah. they're way like they're way more thought out than I gave it credit for at the beginning, and I or or I assumed they would be, and it's just yeah, this the writing feels like an early Persona game. It's kind of crazy, and it like you don't realize it because none of the characters get anything to do. Yeah, like the story is so hinged on oh, we're just gonna go here and talk to Maki, but like the whole time, like the characters are like in their roles and they're performing them well they just that's all they get so even though they're well-written characters they don't get a lot of time to shine except in small moments like this yeah but they all have their very like very specific worldviews, and every time they do say something it's usually reflected in that worldview. yeah it's clearly like well thought out and they all have like their own voice like each character reads differently like it, it's good it's just there's not a lot of it no absolutely um so Nanjo goes on this like weird soliloquy about the Pandora's box myth. Yeah, you know, totally appropriately uh, because uh, actually, no, I, no one mentioned Pandora. There's very little resemblance to the Pandora myth 
What would even be the titular box? The mirror, I guess? But okay, I guess that's true, but like how does he know what happens? Is he just afraid of what happens when he when they open the mirror? Well, you you know how the Pandora myth goes. Like there there's Pandora's box and then you open it and you spend like 45 hours messing around <laughs> with it. Then you close it and then you wring your hands about whether you're going to open it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's, it's it's funny, and it's kind of obvious the game is setting something up at this point. Mm-hmm. For, it's just, it's just so out of it's. I can't say it's out of place because it actually makes sense why it's there. It's just the transition is bad. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so everyone like stands around and argues about what to do for a little bit, but pretty much everybody except Nanjo comes around, and then Nanjo comes around too because he's a big old softy. And um, so you decide to, you know, follow into Maki's soul and the mirror starts to flicker and then you see a vision of the Davis system being destroyed and you guys are like, oh, that's, that's bad. We should probably, our next best bet is probably to use Kandori's mirror. But like as soon as you say that, it chatters, which is super funny. <laughs> um, but uh, you find the, the broken, like compact mirror that Maki used to carry around, like, on the floor. Um, and then uh, someone else finds, like, another party member finds, like, another one on Homa Maki's body. And then you find the, like, actual mirror part of it, uh, like, in the corner on the ground. Uh, and you put it back together. And uh, everything, like, you get in there. And you get teleported back into Maki's world, and uh, her mom's waiting for you. Yeah, so um, the game establishes that the other world is Maki's soul, and uh, everything in it is a piece of it. So kind of revisiting what we did in Shin Megami Tensei, uh, we are now, we're, we're kind of soul divers. We're diving into someone's soul to free them from themselves. Uh so yeah, the compact sends you right back to Maki's world, uh, where you find her mom in the forest. Uh, she is really confused. She has no idea what's going on. Uh, she just she just ended up in there one day, and uh, she begs you to help Maki. Like last time you talked to her, she thought she was going to die. Like she was staying behind and letting you go on to save Maki. So uh, after you finish talking to her, uh, you hear my crying in the distance, and. Um, uh, her mom immediately recognized that, wait, that's that's young Maki. That's Maki as a daughter, uh, when she was my young daughter. Uh, so you set off in order to find her, and uh, her mom joins you. Not as a party member, but just kind of as an NPC that shows up uh, whenever you're in a treasure room. Uh, and you're back through the same forest dungeon that uh, you fought way back uh, one or two episodes ago. Uh, layout's exactly the same. You keep your auto-map data, but um, there are new and improved harder demons in this area. Uh, so after some fighting and some weird, like, spinning, spit you out the wrong direction uh, traps, you'll make your way back to the gingerbread house where you first found Mai. Uh, in the gingerbread house, her and her mom have a really sweet uh, reunion. Uh, she cries seeing her daughter as a young girl again, and once once all that settles down and everybody kind of has their head on their shoulders, uh, Mai tells you that Aki wanted to make the world go away. And in order to do so, she went to where the really bad me is. Um, this is where you're introduced to Pandora, coincidentally enough. Whoa! Oh, yeah. Who's the very, <laughs> wow. 
I mean, this changes the entire game. I have to go back from the beginning. Let's re-examine this through the lens that Pandora shows up at the end. Okay. Yeah, and, and keeping with the theme of everything in this world being a reflection of uh, Maki's soul, uh, Pandora is the personification of Maki's desire for annihilation and obliteration. And uh, in order to help that along, Aki broke Pandora's seal and set her free. And uh, in doing so, Pandora destroyed Aki. And they are now trying to destroy the world, killing all of the Makis. Oh, uh, which, by the way, this is the phase of the game where we have an absolute embarrassment of Makis. Like, I, I realize that this is her world and everybody in it is her, but I really wish they had... I really wish that once that reveal came, they didn't start calling all the characters Maki yeah, in their It's really boxes. hard to keep track of. <laughs> it's like that scene in uh, Being John Malkovich. Yeah. Where you dive into, <laughs> he dives into his own brain. <laughs> yeah, so right now we have uh, Maki Mai, we have Ideal Mai, we have Real Comatose Mai, and we have Pen- or, uh, Real Comatose Maki, and we have Pandora Maki. Yay! Uh, so. Uh, in order to defeat Pandora and unlock uh, the door to her cave, you need three compounds. God. Uh, you already have the first two, so now you need the ideal Maki's compound. Why are we doing and- this? <laughs> because ginger bread houses are fun, I okay? I the game to be over. <laughs> so, well, on the bright side, the game- <laughs> battles are pretty quick uh, right now. At this point, you probably have a nuclear spell that just sort of wipes out groups of enemies almost like 95% of the time. Yeah, it's just, it's a weird pacing thing, like, because it feels like you're in the climax, but every time you get to the part where the climax should happen, they're like, oh, actually, you need to go find these three more things. (laughs) Yeah. At at least the part that you do next is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, So, well, not not this immediate part. Immediately, it sends you right back to the same dungeon where you've enjoy more forest but um a little bit deeper on in the forest you'll find uh the ideal maki uh, she's lying in a hospital bed but she has what looks like an iron panel bolted onto her face uh just covers it all up it's a featureless it's mask. a really cool visual uh, oh yeah it's great it's like she it's almost like she's trying she wants to erase herself but she's but she's not willing to make herself just completely disappear so she just is adopting this featureless mask and uh, she yells, don't come near me. Why are you all here? Don't you know the kind of girl I am? Uh, basically down on herself. Like She knows that she is the type of person who wanted to destroy the world. Like She knows that this is a part of her, and she's not really willing to accept that yet. Uh, but the, the party tells her, like, hey, it's not your fault. Like Everybody, everybody has dark moments, and you have, to, you have to accept that. You have to understand that. Uh, after a lot of going back and forth where she says she's the worst. Your party says, no, you're all right. We like you. Uh, she eventually talks to you and says, you know it, main character. You know I'm the worst girl alive. And uh, you, you kind of chew her out. Uh, you tell her to stop hiding from problems that she has caused and to take take responsibility for her actions. And then the party all kind of backs you up on that. They agree. And the mask falls away. And uh, she joins your party again on the quest to save the real world Mackie. So uh, back in the gingerbread house, uh, Mackie and Aki, uh, they apologize to each other. They hug it out. They talk it out. And then Aki tells you that the final compact is not with the ideal Maki. It's actually with real Maki's consciousness. So in addition to all the other Makis, there is now Maki's consciousness mirrored in this world in the Alea Cavern. Yay. 
So, obviously, the Alea Cavern is buried at the back of the Alea Shrine. How many more Makis can we come up with? Rainbow Maki, Metal Maki, (laughs) Maki. I mean, come on. The possibilities are endless. I need Persona 1 uh, Maki Dungeons. To be fair, there kind of is a Rainbow Maki later. Oh, I guess you're actually right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it... Yeah. yeah, so the, the only thing you do now is to head to the shrine, talk to your old butterfly bud, uh, Philemon, and uh, yeah, he tells you that the shrine leads to the sea of all humanity's souls. Uh, this is where all souls are born, and they re- all return to the sea someday. Uh, Kandori's soul is already headed back to the sea, uh, whereas Maki's soul is lost in the caves, and if you don't hurry and get her, it'll be lost back into that sea forever, obliterating her as a person. Yeah, this part's actually super dope. Um, the th- gimmick for this dungeon is that uh, only two people can go in, and it's you and Maki, um, which sucks because Maki sucks. But uh, I, you know, I think it's interesting. It plays with the SMT patented trope of uh, difficulty by removing something from your uh, abilities list. Yeah. And so this time it limits your vocabulary to two party members. And it's basically saying, do you know our systems well enough to do it with only two people? And for the most part, I think it's kind of a successful experiment. Oh, it is definitely the best one in the game. Yes. Like it's because it's an actual like interesting challenge. It asks you to do something. Like and it feels balanced. It feels balanced for it too. Like yeah. there's a, there was I think only one group of enemies that I was like, if these guys come up, I gotta run because I don't have an effective way of really dealing with this. But I think that was more uh, the personas I ended up with than anything else. Hmm. This might be the first time I died in this game, and I died a lot in this dungeon. And I think it's because I didn't have, like you said, the, the personas I had were not quite suited to the monsters in this dungeon, at least with those two characters. So I actually had to back out, do a bunch of grinding, do a bunch of new fusing in order to tackle this place. Yeah, it's, you gotta be really careful, because, like, for the most part, like, the enemies are manageable, but if you slip once, then they can wipe you. Indeed. Um, but the, the cave, like, the actual dungeon is cool. There's Oh, there's also a new, like, type of demon that are masks that are named after the seven deadly sins and you can't negotiate with them. Like, ooh. I actually didn't even notice there were seven different ones. I just thought there were like two or three. I assumed there were seven. I don't know if I like paid enough attention to run into all of them, but like once I saw what they were doing, I f- just figured they were all there. Fair enough. They were A so of- weak that I killed them usually before I even thought about what their names were. <laughs> And there's really only three types of demons. There's the ones that are weak to, like, expel. There's the ones that are weak to death. And there's the ones that are weak to magic. And that's kind of it. Okay. Um, so when you, you know, you go through the dungeon and, like, towards the end you find a room. And in it is your main dude playing. He's, like, sitting at, like, a little arcade machine. No, and then, Ian, Ian, what do you mean by your main dude? I mean, like, a... A clone dream version of like your main character model. There we go. Yeah, it's you. You were behind it. No, you weren't behind it all. <laughs> but you, this is the you that exists in Maki's soul realm. It's great. This is this is what Maki thought of you. 
Yeah, and it's really that you sit that you sit around playing arcade games all the day. Oh my god, and that's you, the player. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, but then he turns around and he's like, "I'm so cool and attractive, and everyone likes me, and I'm good at everything." I don't, I don't see. (laughs) Also, just playing an old Atlas fighting game. Uh, Ian, I don't see the problem. That's exactly what I say to myself every time I play a video game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's cute because it's like Maki's like ideal vision of you, and it's like, oh, that's like I hate that they shoehorn like a love interest thing. Between those, like, I hate when there are oh. romances in games where the main character is a silent protagonist who has no personality. Oh, you know what? It, I did notice the sexual tension right at the end, but I thought it happened, like, it started happening later. But you're right. This is the first hint of suddenly sexual tension. Yeah. But, I mean, to be fair, look at all, look at everything you've done for her. Yeah, you're you're a pretty oh, great yeah. guy. Um, but but he's like, Hey, it's me and I'm incredible. Um, and he kind of like sits you down and this is the part where they, like, he like talks to you about your journey and like goes through all the moral choices you made. And this is the part where the game like sits you down and is like, Hey, good job. You got the good ending. Um, (laughs) It literally like flashes back to the scenes and he's like, you could have done this, but you did this instead. Oh, that it's funny because it specifically explains why your choices were relevant. Mm -hmm. So I, so if you kind of, so there's, so if you get the bad end, if you don't, you can't get to this part without having picked those correct options, right? Why didn't they do this in the bad ending? So you could know what you did. Yeah, it's, so it's not mechanically, like, it doesn't, it's not a good, like, check and balance system. It's like system. a weird it's just, victory lap. Oh, like, yeah, it's just like, you succeeded, let me tell you how, but wait, what, what about the other version of me in the other dimension that failed? He doesn't get to know. Well, I wonder what this would look like if you had done the thing that Paul uh, noticed that he had open to him, where you can go back in time, fix your one mistake, and then get the good ending. I wonder oh. if then your your main character sits you down and is like, you're a real piece of shit. You know that? <laughs> you told her you liked her paintings. They were terrible. <laughs> it's such a petty one. The paintings thing? <laughs> yeah. To be like a huge sticking point. Well, what if he... It's funny that like his explanation on the painting one was just, you didn't care what anyone else thought of your opinion. It's not like you didn't, like, you didn't agree with the evil monster woman or nothing. It's just that you you stood up for what you really thought, that Maki's paintings were better. So it's canon that Maki's paintings are better. Oh, man. I don't want to live in a world where Maki is the only waifu in this game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you do all the, like, moral pontificating, and then he does, like, the, the I am thou and thou art I persona speech, and he gives you... Uh, I forget what it is, but he gives you the item that, like, lets you fuse your ultimate persona. He gives you five items, each one, one for each party member, that allows you to, if you're using a persona of the correct type, uh, evolve them into the ultimate form. Which are, like, super, super good and useful. Let's talk about the ultimate personas for a bit, yeah. They're fucking awesome. Uh, you have to be very, very high level to get them. Uh, like Brian said, you get the ultimate personas by um, using a demon of the appropriate type, and then when it asks you if you want to add an item, you throw that item in. It doesn't matter what level the demons are. Uh, so, like, in order to get my ultimate personas, I went to that um, that grinding dungeon they have, the Makaya Ruins or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. and just got a bunch of low-level demons that would fuse the right dudes. And, yeah, those those 
it takes a long time to grind up to be the level to use them. Uh, they're all around level 58 to 62. Yeah. But uh, they they kind of break this game. And keep in mind, dear listener, that just because you have your ultimate persona doesn't mean you have their best abilities yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't like grind out. Like Once I had them, I was like, all oh, right, I'm good. And I went... Wait, I, guys, this is actually when I figured out the difference between your personal level and your persona level. I think we actually explained this wrong when we first talked about it. Oh, wow. So each persona doesn't individually level up. They're always the level that they are. But you have two different gauges for your level ups. You have your personal level, which upgrades your stats. And then you have your persona level. And the higher your persona level is, the higher level personas you can equip. So I was level 62 oh. on my on my uh, physical stats but I was only level 61 on my persona stat and I couldn't equip my ultimate persona on my main character. Oh, weird. For, for me, it was the opposite. Uh, my persona level was a few levels higher than all my main care, all my characters player levels. And I could equip personas that were higher level than them, but I, I figured like, Oh, well I guess they're giving me some wiggle room cause it's the ultimate. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I never figured that out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, we did it, everybody. Um, it, it's so it's so irrelevant usually because like your persona level is usually around the level of what you are at, right? But but yeah, yeah. but you probably had a higher persona level just because you use for your personas that much more than I did. Because if you focus on regular attacks, it goes to your personal stats. If you focus on persona magic skills, it goes your experience goes more to your persona level. That makes sense, because I almost never used regular attacks when I could get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned a lot about specifically how Persona ranks and leveling worked uh, in that last little grind bit <laughs> of getting my ultimate Persona. I basically made everyone stop attacking and just use my main character's ultimate Persona, because, well, spoiler, the, the, the last ability the main character's Persona has is like one of the best magic spells to use against the final boss. Oh yeah, and uh, it just it felt necessary to have, and it just took. I would say I probably spent a solid two and a half hours just getting, and this was like one attack per turn, and then having to deal with the enemies re, uh, rebuttal, and then. So I did that same thing, but about eight hours, uh, which you know I'm kind of embarrassed about, but it was also really fun getting every character their ultimate persona and getting all their ultimate personas of. Uh, one of them was not maxed out, uh, but the rest uh, – Mark's wasn't maxed out, but the rest of theirs was maxed. Shame. Shame. Uh, all... Get off Get off my podcast. You failed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Nanjo's in particular breaks the rest of this game. Like one, one thing we talked about very early on was that it doesn't matter what you cast. Every uh, Persona's spell has the same MP cost. Um, Nanjo gets an ability that reflects every single spell cast against him, against anyone on your party. Uh, for one turn. So you just have to cast that every turn, and you cannot take ma- magic damage at all. That's, anyone in your party. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> we'll, get to the, we'll get to the last boss, but uh, the last boss has a lot of really good magic abilities. Yeah, we'll talk.
<laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Uh, so Persona One, at the end of this dungeon, <laughs> you uh, you make your way to the end, and you see all of humanity's souls, which uh, take the form of a bunch of like naked dudes floating around in these bubbles. Um, and you, uh, <laughs> you find Maki. I had to admit that when I saw this was a cinematic, by the way. Everybody. Yeah, it goes to like um, a CG cutscene. I like was I forgot what was happening when I because I like literally just turned it on and like walked into this room or something. I don't remember, but man, I was what the fuck? <laughs> it, like I just forgot the context of what I was looking at. And just yeah, the nude guy. Oh my god. <laughs> It's a really striking visual, actually. Like, it, it's cool. <laughs> it's very, yes, yeah, very striking. That is a good word to describe it. Uh, so you, you find Maki's new dude bubble, and she, her soul, I guess, gives you the final compact that you need so you can finally get to the final dungeon. <laughs> the final dungeon. For real this a time. A video word. A video world is, um, it's a word that means, uh, well, when we say video games, sometimes we're a little lazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it actually. Yeah, you have video um, and a video. <laughs> it's actually a Sanskrit word that's literal meaning is ignorance, misconceptions, misunderstandings, incorrect knowledge. Uh, and, uh, it's the opposite of video. So video means understanding. So video games is understanding. That's what we've come. That's the conclusion that we've come to. Um, I think. That, I think that. I think that ends the podcast. So uh, thanks for coming, everybody. Um, <laughs> so with the compacts in hand, you go back to the school library. Uh, people basically tell you like there's a thing in the library, uh, and there's a strange gateway where that. What was that weird dude's name who never showed up again? Gross oh, yeah, book occult man, man, occult guy. Yeah, and that's it's where you met him last time. Um, the three compacts unlock the gate to Pandora's realm, a massive dungeon. So, the dungeon is multiple floors long. Uh, you're going to pass by, like, three different save points at, at certain points. Um, at this point, you're looking like your... Uh, depends on your pacing. If you, gr- if you grinded a lot, you were probably, like, mid-50s. Uh, mm-hmm. I was late fifties for Maki and main character, but everyone else was late forties. Yeah, when I got here, it was the opposite for me. Uh, Maki and the main character were late forties, and uh, Raiji and a couple other guys were like Raiji was level fifty eight when I went to this dungeon, and that's because he had so many pers- he had so many affinities with personas that had really awesome like insta kill everybody abilities like he had the nuclear ability he had a bunch of instant death abilities like he was a workhorse for a lot of those auto battles up to this point yeah my main character was my nuclear guy so anyway uh in this dungeon there's um basically every stupid fucking trap that we've had so far (laughs) dark rooms damage tiles dead ends super strong demons and a lot of demons that have 200% reflect damage on your go-to magic that you use to kill everybody. And, uh, you know, you accidentally cast the wrong spell, you're fucked. Yeah. And also, so also the other thing is, if there's one and you get wrong one wrong magic against them, you'll probably survive but be in the red, like high red in terms of HP. Um, if there's two or three, you get reflected each time there's one. 
So the damage suddenly doubles and triples, and you're totally fucked. Because mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, Nanjo had uh, some ability, uh, either nuclear or fire. No, he was my nuclear guy by the end. And if I cast it on somebody, uh, yeah, it would just do like 13,000 damage. Or 1,300, sorry, not 1,000. I've had a couple wipes from... Uh, so there are enemies that are strong to almost everything except for guns. And then there are enemies that are strong to everything and reflect guns. And sometimes they show up in the same group, so I'd like automate. Oh, they're... Those are the birds. I'm gonna I'm gonna use guns. Yeah, it was but definitely. It would instant. They would they would 200 reflect every gunshot, and I had the best guns in the game. So yeah, the only time I wiped in this area was when I wasn't careful enough and I auto battled with guns. It definitely felt like this dungeon was the anti auto battle tutorial. Like, okay, you've relied on this for too long. Now we show you how to play. Um, like it was really like a memorization challenge, remembering what groups of enemies required you to do what certain inputs. It was interesting, uh, tedious. Yeah, really. It's just they throw too many random encounters at you, you know. So at the end of the floor, at the end of a floor full of damage tiles, you find a gargantuan monster. The monster has six legs and four arms, and is giving birth to a worm-like monster with Maki's head. Behind the monster is a massive cocoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, so this is basically we're at the Pandora boss fight. But man, I feel like we didn't really get to the core of what's annoying about Pandora's dungeon yet. Oh, um, wait, 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 wait. You forgot to mention that the forehead vagina that is giving birth to Maki's head also looks like a penis. Of course, yes. Uh, how could I forget such an important fact? Um, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, really quick, the Pandora's Dungeon, so, like, there's three save points, and you're you're traversing a lot of floor, a lot, a lot of floor. Mm-hmm. Like, say, like, what feels like three relatively long floors of a dungeon, save point, three relatively large uh, floors of a dungeon, save point, then a really long stretch where there's no save point just on the way to the final boss. Enemies are really tough. Then you get to this floor, and yet uh, it's got a bunch of damage tiles, but it's also a maze, and you can't necessarily know if you're going the right direction, and there's a lot of ways that it throws itself to confuse you. Mm-hmm. A lot of forks yeah, in the road. massive. Yeah. It's just so, so big, and just the, the right combination of enemies to just completely wipe your party. Like... At, I get why people, uh, you know, don't speak a Persona one highly. And one of the big complaints I always hear is, um, you know, the, there's just too many times that you can just die without um, any way of preventing it. And the only time I really felt that was this dungeon, and it never felt like I completely could have not avoided it. It was just a okay, I know better for next time I can never do this if this is happening. Like, it was like editing a formula after I died a few times, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there there were a couple of encounters where, like, it wasn't guaranteed that I would die going into the fight, but you you can definitely tell a certain point in the fight where it's, it's the Fist of the North Star moment, where it's like, oh, I'm already dead. There's nothing I can do to stop me from dying. I'm going to be dead in four turns, and there's nothing I can do to get out of this at this point. Okay, so now let's move on to the final boss. This is Pandora. Uh, Pandora starts out with one phase, then another. But of course, you got to get a little cutscene. 
You there, Brian? I was uh, waiting for the siren to pass. Oh, okay. Okay. The cops know you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's... I actually have no idea who, whose mic that came from. That was mine. Oh, Sorry. okay. Um, so first you got a little cutscene. Pandora tells you that in the cocoon is the gate to her paradise. The paradise she created. Maki tells you that the box will bring nothing but evil to the world. Um... And then uh, you get some little some dialogue from Pandora herself. Everything is useless, utterly useless. You, me, useless. Actually, who says that? Is that Marky? It's the Pandora is, monster. Okay, it's Pandora. It also makes these like weird slushing noises. Yeah, and then she uh, really emerges for battle with a final battle cry of "Now let us disappear together," and then we start the fight. Um, phase one is nothing. Yeah. You just, you just beat it. Yep. It's pretty easy. Um, or if you're me, you spam support spells and get your magic and attack really just boost it all. That would there. be yeah. the smart thing to do. Well, yeah, sure. If you want it to be easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but e- like, even if you're not like using it for strategic purposes, it's just, it's, it's no, it's the simplest thing. It goes by so yeah. quick, you barely do, like, three turns, I think. And then you go into phase two. So the worm being that she was uh, birthing now sort of grunts out of Pandora's uh, gaping vagina hole cocoon <laughs> thing and is born into a nude butterfly lady uh, with uh, some bright pink hair. Uh, and then she says to you, why won't you give up? Please give up. Please. You're about to rip paradise from her hands. The room changes to look like a, a teen girl's trapper keeper, Lisa Frank style. Check your forward <laughs> background with random 3D rendered shapes and butterflies. It's very PS1 looking. Yeah. Like, what's the craziest thing we can do? The third dimension. It is some um, PS1 ass. Whoa. Hmm. I got away from me. Whew. Never mind. And so the second phase, <laughs> Pandora's second phase is a lot more dangerous than her first phase. Uh, so let's, Evan, you uh, you be quiet for a second. So for normal people oh, yeah. who don't grind, <laughs> uh, Pandora will generally take about, at the very least, half an hour. Yeah, that's about how long uh, it took me. Yeah, it's a, it's a long boss fight. She has a lot of HP. It's about... Oh god, I want to say it's 65,000 and your attacks are doing in the range of of uh, 500 to 900 if they're doing good damage, but most of your attacks are probably going to be doing 100 200. God. It's not even not- that hard. It's just so long. You just have to be on It's top not of it. hard. I never once got to a point where, like, all my party members were on the brink of death. I, like, one or two passed out, maybe, but the other three were still standing strong. There was never a point where I couldn't recover easily within two turns. Mm-hmm. And two turns was, like, that was the hard, that was the hard limit. Like, usually it was just, like, heal one person. Like, I wasn't even... That's the other thing, guys. I didn't need the top-level spell of Meteorama. I just used the mid-level that healed everyone for oh, yeah. a moderate amount of HP. But you can get media I, media haunt. It says a moderate amount of HP, I, I think, but like the other one just maxes you out. So the middle one like costs a lot less and still does like a huge chunk. So as long as you're not 
like straight yeah, it's like three hundred. Like you're fine. So, so th- I think that top level spell there is is. I think that top level spell is there more for the um, post game uh, monsters because there are four bosses you can fight after you finish all this stuff. They have zero story impact. They're not relevant to anything. But if you want to fight some really hard demons that require you to grind up to level eighty or whatever, they are in the game after you beat it. Is it an, in a new game plus kind of situation? Like you no, um, you, you just load up your old save and um, you can't go back and do anything else. But uh, the ruins that are like the level grinding dungeon, uh, the final levels of them are unlocked, and you can go in and fight four. Oh, okay. So it'll but it'll it's, just, it's, it'll it's take even, you right back to right before you fought Pandora, right? I think so. Yeah, and then you can. And it's not even. Guys. It's not even like Persona Three and Four, where uh, you get to fight like a story relevant boss that's really powerful in New Game Plus or whatever. It's just, hey, you like boss fights? Have a couple more. Yay! Okay, that's interesting. Um, so Pandora's got a big gimmick to her, and that's uh, she's got two different forms that she can switch between. There's pink-haired Pandora and there's blue-haired Pandora. I don't remember. Oh, there it's right there. So the blue, uh, the blue Pandora is weak to physical attacks and repels magic, and the pink hair uh, does physical attacks uh, and resists physical attacks, but is weak to magic attacks. Um, and it's a, you know, the only thing that really gets you sometimes is you set up a bunch of attacks and they switch when it's her turn before all your guys have gone. You've lo- you've loaded up magic attacks and they launch when she's uh, resistant to magic. Yeah, it sucks. And it's it's not even that big of a deterrent. I mean, it just it eats your time away. That's about it. Yeah, but that's like but that's why it's so bad because all it does is stretch it out longer. <laughs> Like, there's not even really a consequence for it. It just makes the fight take even longer than it already would. And that's the worst kind of punishment. Yeah. It's also something that's out of your control, so, like, you shouldn't be punished for it anyway. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. So, speaking of all of that, now brings me around to our, uh, I don't know how to call it, but once a game, I give out a very special award. Uh, (laughs) This was formerly known as the SMT Fuck You Award, uh, it is now named the Mega Ten Misery Award, and I award it to the Pandora boss fight for forcing you to grind to at least level fifty-five. It's so interesting that the game uh, at this point decides to double down on its battle system to really just force you to get to the nitty gritty to really understand it in a way that uh, it feels really mean. Um, like, why would you make me, I played your game for, let's say, 40, 50 hours. I don't actually know. By the way, guys, the PSP clock times on Persona 1 are absolutely stupid. Uh, Oh, yeah. Mine says I've done it, I've played it for 130 hours, uh, because I would, uh, suspend my PS Vita, and it would not actually suspend the game. Yep. Uh, Evan, I believe you had a, a record. Uh, what you? Uh, what's your clock time yeah. say? Uh, Nine hundred ninety-nine hours and thirteen Jesus. seconds. Nice. <laughs> and it's just—it's bizarre. I really would like to know how much time I actually spent playing. But the point is, after fifty hours, uh, for the game to basically say we don't think you're done playing the game yet <laughs> is is kind of funny. Uh. So it's interesting you mention that because um, just 
peeking behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, we had a little bit more time between the last episode and this one than usual, and I used that time productively. <laughs> and by productively, I mean I spent eight hours grinding in this last dungeon so I could level <laughs> up all of my guys to use their ultimate personas. And it's and, like, uh, yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah. Well, if you, do you want me to go ahead into my experience with this boss fight? Yeah, because we're about we're at the end where she uh, basically yeah. dies out. So Evan, yeah, you had uh, you were well prepared for this. <laughs> yeah. So if you have every character's uh, ultimate persona, so the main character has an ability that does about nine hundred and fifty damage uh, to Pandora, uh, regardless of which form she's in. Uh, <laughs> the description for the ability is just question mark question mark question mark, and. Um, <laughs> But most importantly, Nanjo has an ability that causes it causes him to be able to reflect every single magic spell for the entire turn. And if you have him above level 60, he will almost always go before Pandora does. So this fight took about five minutes. Um, I had to cast Madirahan once, and that was when Pandora got an attack before Nanjo could use his reflect spell. Um, I had two characters that were doing nothing but feeding Nanjo... Um, Chewing souls, which restore, uh, they restore a lot of HP out of battle. In battle, they restore like, I think, 30 HP, uh, 20 or 30. It's not much at all. Uh, and his ability takes about 30, uh, SP in order to, or sorry, not HP, SP. Uh, takes about 30 SP to cast. So, um, she attacked me precisely once, uh, for damage. Aside from her, like, random 20 damage slaps that she does. Um, and I had buffed during the first phase. So almost anything I did to her did around 900 damage. And yeah, this, this fight took about five minutes. It was the easiest boss in the entire game. And the ultimate personas are awesome. Like, it's really cool. It's really cool after the struggle of the grinding, the struggle of all the bosses in the game, after how weak I felt when I had just Mackie and the main character in that one dungeon and I kept dying over and over, to be able to walk to this final boss here... So the PSP version has different music, by the way. It's a remix of the same, like, last boss music from Persona 3 and 4. It's that same theme. Like, hearing that pumping and then having this boss be totally impotent against me. Like, could not land a single hit for above 23 damage. It felt really goddamn good. <laughs> it made It almost made the eight hours I spent in order to save 30 minutes of boss fight. It almost made that worth it. Almost, huh? So I, I have a part of my brain that whenever the game tells me, hey, you can get an ultimate persona here. <laughs> this is the ultimate, the best. Like, the persona games are all about picking the right blend of personas, skills, abilities. Uh, in a lot of these games, you can even tweak what skills a persona has by who you fuse into it. There's so much flexibility, so much choice. It's very open-ended. There's almost never a best persona. When the game tells me, hey, this is the best persona you can have for this hero. You you bet your ass I'm going to go and get it. No matter how long it takes, there's something about my... This is, I, I've been out of my own, adrift in the sea of choice, and you're telling me, no, no, this is it. So you like you like it when it says that there is no best, but then when it's like, haha, just kidding, here's the actual good stuff, you're like, yeah, give me that sweet supply. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. I get it, man, Like, because it's really satisfying to stomp around with those guys. Just like anything that used to be a problem is just like, ha, 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 cast aside. Yeah, and I might actually take them and do those last four bosses, just just, just at least to try one of them and see, like, hey, can, can, I, you know, can I do this? If you do. I've already moved on to the... I've, I've already moved on to the next game, but I'm kind of considering that. If you do, definitely keep us up, man. We, everyone needs to know. For sure. Um, 
But yeah, that, that's a weird insight into my own <laughs> personal psychology. So, okay, beating Pandora, we are clearly, we are firmly in post-game now. We have completed the parts that require our input, and we're just along for the conclusion of the story. So, Pandora dies, and uh, Maki reaches out to her. Um, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, let me try that again. So your party is strong and defeated Pandora because they were working together and believed in themselves. The power of friendship is an important thing. People can't live in isolation. <laughs> What's that one short story where the man floats out to sea and then, like, he's like, America banned me. Who needs America? And then, like, on his dying breath, he, like, I don't know, paints America's flag with his blood or something. I don't remember the end. What? Surely that's a Twilight Zone <laughs> episode or something. It's called, like, The Man with No Country. Am I Am I crazy? <laughs> I need to watch more yeah. Twilight Zone. Uh, no, I don't think that's a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> Maybe it's okay, like, uh, okay, okay. The man, know. the man without a country, is a short story by American writer Edward Everett Hale, first published in the Atlantic in December eighteen sixty three. It is the story wow. of American Army Lieutenant Philip Nolan, who renounces his country during a trial for treason and is consequently sentenced to spend the rest of his days at sea without so much as word of news about the United States. And then, like, at the end, he, like, um, it's, uh, when he dies later that day, he is found to have drafted a suitably patriotic epitaph for himself. In memory of Philip Nolan, lieutenant in the Army of the United States, he loved his country as no other man has loved her, but had no man deserved less at her hands. So there you go. You know, I could read... I could really go for less news about my country right about now. <laughs> yeah, be pretty good. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, they have to. People have to be there for each other. Maki reaches out to Pandora, who needs someone for her right now, and Maki self reunites with Pandora and. Pandora thanks you as she fades into the light because you solved all, all the problems, all of them. Um, the real Maki tells you that she, or I don't, know, I don't know, is it the real Maki? What's real anymore, guys? Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, is this, no, it's real Maki, Maki is, yes, this is ideal Maki. I wish we had, like, settled on that nomenclature before we decided to record, but oh, well. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the audience is as confused as I was for 40 hours. Yeah, well, good. We did our job. So Ideal Maki tells you that she was only a shadow of the real Maki, that she can't go with you because she has to kind of live in Maki's brain. It would be That would be a crazy ending if there was, like, a, an optional way to, like, get her out of Maki's brain. And then you, like, keep Ideal Maki in your fucking uh, closet or something. <laughs> <laughs> How much would that fuck you up? How much would that fuck you up if your crush managed to pull a more perfect version of you out of your, your head and then your... started dating that version instead of not you? Even, not even the more perfect version of you. The perfect version of you that is formed by your own insecurities. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the person you always wanted to be emerges as a person and then starts dating the girl that you that always wanted. <laughs> um... So, um, you know, uh, your party is sent away, and then there's a cutscene, and then Ideal Maki, uh, this is where, like, uh, the sexual tension is super obvious, because she, she kisses you and tells you that she loves you, and uh, then uh, she banishes you, and then, like, you have this memory of... 
gosh, like, I mean, does Maki, if Maki ever wakes up from this coma, is she going to remember any of this? I think so. It's implied that she does. So this doesn't really go away then. Like, when you go and see Maki again, it's like, you still said, like, goodbye to ideal Maki, and man, that's some weird baggage to bring to a relationship, even a friendship. I mean, like, she she almost destroyed the world. Compared to that, I think this is relatively tame. <laughs> yeah, everyone's going to have PTSD after this no matter what. So. so Philemon shows up. Nothing more needed to be said. I'm sure you've all discovered your true selves. But not really. You only just discovered Maki's true self. Yeah. And like, you don't even really talk about so, anyone else's. So, uh, like, Nanjo had some character development. Um Brown uh, Raiji had a little bit. Brown didn't really at all. Yeah. Like I feel like nothing happens with Brown. Like he's just the guy. He's there. He's got the spear. Like he's the guy he's your friend that you bring around because he's useful, not because he's fun. Yeah, Eric goes like that too. <laughs> so so we've done three episodes with you with you three. You all three had different like uh, fifth members than I did. I have no idea what the personality of any of your fifth members are. There, I, like, think, I, I, I feel like I know Raiji as a person. I don't even know. Like, wait, Brown. What? What, what is Brown? He's the he's the one with I've, purple hair. Oddly, <laughs> okay. um, he's a, that's the thing. It's like I feel like maybe the fifth member slot is kind of shunted if you don't get Raiji. Yeah, like Raiji mm-hmm. sounds like he was written, and all these other guys sound like they were. They're a. Uh, they're a plot. They're they're a they're a plug to put in a plot hole. Yeah, Erico mm-hmm. like, like has yeah. a personality, but like even compared to someone like Mark, she doesn't have anything to do. A- after hearing you all play through this game, like Raiji shouldn't have been optional. He should have just been the fifth party member. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm getting to. Especially like the him like lamenting once he's completed his goal. That sounds pretty tight. So Philemon, uh, oh sorry, did that already. Philemon takes off his masks, and he's a middle-aged Japanese businessman. Yeah, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> then, so uh, he rises, when he did that, <laughs> he rises. Well, but Ian, he then rises into the air and fades into butterflies, yeah. which I think kind of makes up for the middle-aged Japanese man stuff. Get, like, why does he take uh, the mask off at all? I just looked it up on Google Image Search, and he looks like a real creep. Yeah. His face yeah, looks totally so, different than, like, the part you can see. And then, why does he take his mask off at all? And why is he just, like, a generic, like, 50-year-old dude? He's just a middle-aged guy that likes to hang out with teenagers, you know? And so, what I find is more... Why was he even there? So, like, in future games, he's not really there. But, I mean, it's more or less implied that Igor is just an agent of him. Okay. I have yeah. a theory. Like I, yeah, you have a theory. Did you guys read Animorphs? Oh goddamn! I did. <laughs> what are you gonna fucking? <laughs> no. What fucking axiom bullshit? Okay. Metamorphic so Animorphs was a series of children's novels about the horrors of guerrilla warfare uh, in the late '90s and early 2000s <laughs> by K. A. Applegate about a group of teenagers so you, who find. But a- when you say gorilla. You mean, I mean like both. I like mean both gorillas? Oh, he means. <laughs> see, Marco's main battle morph is a gorilla, but we're okay. It's about a bunch of teenagers who like live in Middle America and they go to high school and they're like fifteen, and they find out that there's this secret alien invasion, 
and they like stumble upon like the aliens are these like little slug guys who like climb into your ear and take over your body and they're like they have pods like all over the world and they're like doing operations and secretly taking over the earth and there's a, a valiant race called the andalites who are like these blue furry centaur dudes with, with no mouths and blade tails and um the Andalite prince clash lands in their town and gives them this cube. And when they touch it, they get the power to turn into any animals that they touch. But they can only turn into them for like two hours. And if they stay longer than that, then they'll permanently be an animal. And that happens to one of them like right away. And he's just like, fuck. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Tobias. Yeah, Tobias. Tobias becomes a hawk. And then he gets his fucking powers back. And then he's a hawk normally. But he can turn into a boy for two hours. <laughs> but why not just stay a boy nice. and then redo the fucking surgery to get the Animorph powers again? Because but arbitrarily, like, you can only do it twice. He doesn't reason. want to. Like, he becomes more hawk-like. And, like, when he's a human again, they, like, note, like, oh, he doesn't really remember how to make facial expressions. <laughs> and he, like, gets more and more detached from human. Like it's great because the they're like fifty of those books, and the further they go, like the more just like psychologically fucked up all the kids are. And then at the end, like half of them are dead, and nobody's happy, even when they win the war. And the whole last book is just Guys. about their post traumatic stress disorder. It's awesome, but. So I'm going to ask you to tie this back into the main yes. thought in a second, but I just remembered a real dumb thought about animals. I don't know what book it was. It was probably in the early teens in the series, but one of them had Marco and he was like, I got to get home and play some PlayStation. And when I was a kid, I was like, oh my God, this author knows what a PlayStation is. She's with the times. So <laughs> K.A. Applegate is the future. Um, okay. So Animorphs exists and there's this secret space war but also there are these two cosmically powerful super beings called the elemist who is a good guy and krayak who is evil and the elemist and krayak are so omnipotently powerful that they can't like hurt each other so they play this infinite game where they each choose pawns and like pluck them out of the universe to like compete in their sick combat games and like i'm thinking that philemon and yarlethotep are the elemist and the krayak of the persona universe who like once they realize they can't get at each other, like, keep picking their, like, champions to unwittingly represent them in the cosmic battle for, like, the morality of the universe. And that was a very roundabout <laughs> way for me to explain that. Oh, incidentally, after you kill God Kandori, you get the, uh, I don't know if we talked about totem fusions, but you get the totem you need to fuse Nylanthrotep for yourself. Ooh. So you, you, you can equip him as a persona for your main Dang. character. Uh, but you have to be, like, crazy high level. All right. So now we're firmly into epilogue territory. Uh, the town returns to normal. The students involved manage to escape media attention. Mark, uh... <laughs> uh so then there's this really weird scene. <laughs> this is an important character beat. Right here. This, this, I, I was just so blown away that they dedicated time to this in the epilogue. Was this, was this Mark or Brown? Mark and Brown are talking about something and then brown brings up i mean i actually don't remember who exactly i guess mark made fun of brown for pooping his pants when he was younger and uh they talk about it for like a whole minute like it's there and you you read about it and it's just like i didn't need to know this like this would have been a fine intro scene but this is not how i want to say goodbye to these characters yeah, it's weird 
It was different. It was different for me. I think in my version of this scene, uh, Raiji made fun of Mark for being scared of heights. Yeah. So I think no matter what, it's somebody making fun of somebody for something. But uh, in mine, it was Mark and Brown. Somebody pooped their pants. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, you uh, back at the Peace Diner. What's the Peace Diner? Uh, the Peace Diner was the place in that mall where you uh, met all the weirdos that were like obsessed with the harem queen. Oh, all right, right. Uh, the right. clowns. Yeah, the clowns. Right. And this this is where that kind of final scene with them making fun of whoever and poking fun right. uh, happens. So uh, with the true selves in hand, the youths go on for the rest of their lives. At the Peace Diner, Raiji, Nanjo, and Mark, and I guess Brown uh, in the other versions, are joking around when you and Maki show up talking about a big plan for the day. <laughs> and that's pretty which, much it. Which, which they never explain. They, they never explain what the plan is, but it somehow involves, at least in my version, it involves Mark's fear of heights. But they, they never say. Oh, so you why. in your in your version, they like push Mark off the top of the building when secretly there's a bungee cord tied to his ankle. <laughs> yeah. So 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 if, if in my version they're talking about his fear of heights, I can only assume in your version it's something poop. <laughs> yeah, like they just we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna sneak a poop under his pants when he sits down in a chair, and then it's gonna be all over his pants. <laughs> <laughs> never see it coming. Oh, okay. So we get epilogues, uh, Animal House style. Um, Maki became a successful artist and, and she cares for her mom in her dying days. Oh, how cute. Mark moved to New York and got acclaim for his street art. Nanjo continued his training as an executive, taking on the role of a salesman and then mellowing out with age. Raiji got his life back on track with Kandori dead and settled down with a wife and a kid. Oh, that's nice. He found other purpose. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and his kid is apparently a lot like him, which is a kind of violent, aggressive piece of shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. But 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 in a, but in an endear, endearing way. Um, Brown becomes a TV host. I actually think we uh, y- you see his TV show in later entries of the series. Mm-hmm. Oh, is is he is he that shifty no. salesman? No, he it does was, a oh. he hosts a show where he interviews people. Mm. And it's and it ends that would have made me so happy. He ends up being uh, he ends up like interviewing characters from Persona One and Two after the fact. I think this is in Persona Three mostly. Yeah, on the TV in the lobby in Persona Three, like there are like six or seven different callbacks to Persona One, Two, and Two. Ah, yeah, awesome. Um, so uh, then we got Yuka. She got a job in a company and married a, a or ISA is what she was known in your party. She got a job at a company and married a salaryman she met oh, during she work. Would. She is now living as a carefree housewife whose only complaint is the size of her husband's paycheck. That sounds just <laughs> Lucy. Like her. You guys, you guys want to know the worst uh, joke I ever saw on TV Land? <laughs> like worst as in I can't believe they allowed this on TV. Specifically, on so there's a. It was uh, specifically I love oh. Lucy. Uh, <laughs> Lucy uh, lost some money that belonged to Ricky, and um, uh, and uh, uh, and their plan to get it back involved doing something illegal. And then Ethel was like, "Lucy, why don't we just tell Ricky we lost the money?" And Lucy replies with, "Because I look better in black and white than I do in black and blue." Ooh, whoa. <laughs> oh, wow. That's Wait. a Lucille Ball approved joke, guys. Anyway. 
Oh my god! You get the final. Uh, so on that sexist note, we uh, you get the final uh, epilogue card that says, "As for your fate, that's for you to decide." And then you play the choose your own adventure chapter of the game. We're still not done yet. No. Um, <laughs> afterwards, uh, there is a. So that is the game. That's Persona One. Uh, we're not going to do wrap up thoughts yet. We want to talk a little bit about the Snow Queen quest, which we've alluded to. Um, original plans where we were going to try, but guys, Persona One is kind of sucks and is hard and is long like a penis. Yes, shut up. And uh, it's. <laughs> Man, I am just... It, by the time we got to this point, I don't think any of us have the energy left for Snow Queen. Definitely not. Yeah. Um, so, Snow Queen quest, if you wanted to do it, uh, basically at the beginning of the game, you, you do the little intro bit first, and then when you're supposed to sneak through the hole, you uh, decide to stay at the school. Um, the Snow Queen quest is technically canon. Like, if we're talking about the canon version of this story... Both happened. Like the canon, the Sebek quest, despite being the main quest of the game, the greatest chunk of the game, is not exactly canon, weirdly enough. Um, so you do the Snow Queen quest. Basically, in the school, there are three towers. Each one's got a gimmick. They're all on timers. All the enemy levels are way, way, way higher than they are in the other parts of the game. Um, you uh, can die a lot quicker. There's a lot more enemy combinations that are made specifically to fuck you over. Um, party members are different. Uh, you can't get brown. Uh, ISA is a required party member. Maki is a required party member. Yukino is a required party Ooh. member. And I think the third, the fifth one is uh, still up in the air. But you can't get Raiji. You can't get Nanjo. You can't um, get Nanjo? I don't believe you can play as Nanjo oh, in this He's like the best quest. dude. He is the best dude. Uh, Mark is optional, I think, in That's Snow nuts. Queen. Um, so once uh, the routes are unlocked, uh, the player goes to acquire the Snow Queen mask, which was taken by Seiko Takami. Miss Seiko is then possessed by a malevolent spirit inhabiting Great. the Snow Queen mask, who plans on sacrificing her way, at, uh, sacrificing her as a way to bring about the isn't Eternal that, Night. Isn't that your What's teacher? Up? Yeah, it's just your teacher. There's hints about oh, that, is that too. Why she's like in the main quest. Yeah. And then that's what that's her solution is to grab the Snow Queen quest mask. And then there's something about the Snow Queen mask being related to a school play, like it's been haunted forever and has just been a prop in the school play. It's it's odd. Hmm. Um, the Snow Queen then proceeds to freeze over the school, and in order to preoccupy the party until the ritual is finished, raises three towers and appoints previous victims of the mask. Uh, then it lists some minor characters uh, for you here. Uh, to guard them and challenging the party to beat best all three towers before the ritual is complete. The bosses are pretty hard. Uh, Philemon comes in this quest and uh, tasks you with finding the shards of the demon mirror in order to free Miss Se- uh, Seiko from her, the spirit's control. Then, uh, basically, here's, here's how it goes down. The spirit is eventually revealed to be Tomomo Fujimura. Miss Seiko's best friend from her high school days, who in turn is being controlled by the Night Queen, who is who haunts the mask. So, if you know the name Nyx, that is the actual official canon version of what the Night Queen is. Interesting. 
So mm-hmm. Nyx has been sort of manipulating everything from behind the scenes. Um, her ultimate goal is to create Eternal Night, like we said, and uh, she used the Snow Queen curse as a means of bringing that back to the world. Um, when you use the Demon's Mirror to free Miss Aiko, the Snow Queen comes to her senses, causing the now free Night Queen persona to show herself. Uh, appearing briefly with her are two unnamed characters, but they're very clearly Maki and Kandori. Um, the Night Queen then merges with, uh, with them and becomes Queen Asura, and that's the final battle what of the, the Snow Queen. What the fuck is quest. happening? I know, that's so crazy. <laughs> that seems like a way less coherent story. So yeah. the only thing that this really illustrates is that uh, Kandori and Maki, uh, the thing we were talking about, like they explain how Maki came to be part of the next dimension. This explains the why. It's because Nyx was manipulating them, kind of, in a way that's oh. tangentially related to the first uh, storyline. Interesting. That's like very at odds with the way Nyx is characterized when it appears later in this series. Yes, it's very odd. Uh, So uh, the canon way this ends now, to explain the rest of the game, is Ellie, or or, I'm sorry, Yukino um, uh, is, you know, you're with her, and it's like, we did it, we did it, and then uh, there's like, hey, there's still this hole, let's go through the hole and do the thing we were going to do before all this. And then they go to do the Sebek quest, and that's the end of the huh. game. And so the canon version of the Sebek quest is you did all that, but you also did the Snow Queen quest before that, and thus have all the party members of the Snow Queen quest with you during the events of the Sebek quest. And that's how mm-hmm. Persona 2 treats that canon. But that's not how it like reflects, like, oh. you just finish the Snow Queen quest, and then it just kind of... Game's over. You don't actually okay. play. Okay, Interesting. Yeah, quite odd. I mean, it would be really crazy if you could play the Sebek quest with, like, eight party members. <laughs> huh. talk about Persona 1 and the greater context of Persona as a sub-brand of the SMT franchise. So, when people are talking about Persona 1, I feel like a lot of people try to distance Persona 1 specifically from the rest of the Persona games. When I actually feel like there's a lot of uh, DNA in this that led to the decisions in later Persona games. Mm -hmm. 
Like obviously, yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely not performed the best way, like not created in the best ways in this game. Bad examples of good ideas, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very reminiscent to the differences between Megami Tensei One and Shin Megami Tensei One. Like, yeah, Shin Megami Tensei One. It was the start of the SMT series, but MT One really laid out that framework. And in kind of the same way, this introduces all of the ideas that make Persona Three and Four uh, excellent. Yeah, it, like you said it earlier, Brian. It's just like it's all there, but it's very growing painsy. Like you can see how they get to where they get to from here, but like so much of it is still rooted in a lot of the design philosophies of older SMT games. Like it feels like it's scared to be its own thing, but it's trying to be anyway. And it's going to get there, but this game just like doesn't quite fire on all cylinders. It's really interesting kind of like looking at retro- in retrospect at it because the reason I think if it wasn't for Persona 3 and Persona 4, Persona 1 wouldn't be um, remembered with as much mm-hmm. curiosity and interest. And um, I think there's a lot of uh, steps that it took which in retrospect are really, really interesting and are really confident. Though if we didn't have this other, uh, you know, this additional 20 years of uh, refinements coming after it, it might have just seemed like another weird kind of JRPG experiment from the PS1 era that uh, didn't really pan out. But, you know, because we have these like way more refined versions to kind of contextualize it with, um, it seems in a lot of ways to be almost kind of ahead of its time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like for the first for the first maybe three quarters, for most of this game, it felt like its own thing. It felt totally apart from the other Persona games. Even Persona 2, it felt totally apart from. But then at a certain point, again, like w- once the bad ending and the good ending split off, it suddenly felt like, oh, this is Persona. This is about uncovering this girl's problems and hang-ups about herself and getting her to look the bad parts of herself in the eye and say, yes, this is, this is despicable, but this is also me. And... This, this isn't the only part of me, but this is a component of me that I have to recognize, I have to deal with, I have to acknowledge. And that, that is everything that Persona 3 and 4 is about. Like, a lot of, a lot of those games deal with rejection of self, self-doubt, self-loathing. And it's not until the very end of this game where it starts dealing with that, but then once they start doing it, it's like, oh, this is, this is a Persona game. Like, the other games were definitely built on this. This isn't like, this isn't like some weird one-off, uh, spin-off that, didn't get iterated on, didn't get expanded on. Uh, you, you can see that DNA very, very clearly. Yeah, I just think it's just a little sad to me how like much distance people try to put between this game specifically and all the others. I, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's more there, I think, than people are giving it credit for. But at the same time, I understand their frustrations in not wanting, in wanting to tell people don't play Persona 1. Like, I honestly couldn't in good confidence tell a, a person who I don't know their habits to play Persona 1. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it as their first game, but, like, I had a ton of fun with this game. Like, if I were to tell somebody, hey, did you like Persona 1? Hell yeah. I, it, it was an awesome game. It was fun. It was great. It's the best game we've played for this show so far. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a good game compared to Persona 4 or Shin Megami Tensei 4 or Strange Journey. But, uh... Yeah, like, that was a solid game. I thoroughly enjoyed it's, myself. Uh, I guess that means we're moving on to, um, uh, 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 yeah, 
review thoughts. But I'm sorry, Ian, did you have something else you want to say real quick? Oh, we... uh, not really. I was going to kind of agree. I think uh, I don't know how like I, I don't think I would recommend it cold. But like if you know you like SMT games and you're like, oh, I was thinking about Persona 1 and you've like played Strange Journey and you've played Nocturne and you're like fine with that, then yeah, it's definitely like there's totally enough here to make it worthwhile if you know that you're going to be into that kind of thing. I like I like I four, four three enough uh, to uh, to I would uh, I looked into playing all the Persona games back when I first got into four and just. People were so overwhelmingly uh, – the consensus was just, no, don't play two and one. It's, I felt like I was kind of disappointed that those weren't options. But I think those people are wrong. If you like three and four and still care about the series, uh, be prepared for rough edges. But one, at the very least, is not a complete waste of your time. I would actually say um, I would I would recommend it as well, but I wouldn't if Persona three and four are your only uh, the only time that you spent with the SMT series at large. I would probably give some of the more modern SMT games to try first because I think in you know when it comes down to mechanics, this is definitely much more of an SMT game than it is like a modern day For Persona sure. game. And if you're not going in it with into it with some of that um, accrued knowledge from playing some SMT games like we are, um, it's going to seem really, really uh, off-putting. Oh, definitely. And I would actually recommend if anyone listening along right now wants to join us for their first ever episode, like you're going to play along while we play it. The next, the next game we're covering, Shemagabe Tensei Strange Journey, that is the first absolutely solid SMT game we've covered so far. Like, top to bottom, it's hard, it's mechanically demanding, but it is a solid, excellent game. I've actually been playing it in the background while we've recorded this entire episode. <laughs> no, I, you, you, I definitely thought about it, though. Yeah, I have it suspended uh, on my uh, DS light over here, but yeah, like I, I, the second I finished this game, I was like, okay! I loved Persona 1. Persona 1's great, but I'm free to play Strange Journey. <laughs> and I immediately cracked it open yeah, I'm and started very playing excited that. For so, <laughs> I have to do my traditional downgrading previous game ranks now that we <laughs> now that the bell curve has yeah. changed again. Uh, Mega 10 1 and 2, you guys are on notice. You're finally down to a C. Uh, <laughs> Shin Megami Tensei 1, C+. Plus. Persona 1. Really? Wait, wait, wait. S- I, I don't think SMT1 was was as good as Megami Tensei. No, you're right. You're right. C minus. Yeah, I agree. C minus SMT1. Persona 1, I'm giving you a B for now. Uh, keep it up. <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, as, long as, as long as this uh, curve just keeps going up, I know eventually we're going to have to dip back down, but I'm hoping we we can do at least B or better for a while. <laughs> yeah. We're going to just keep arcing up and up and up, and then we're going to hit uh, Demi Kids, and we're going to be but like, It's oh. not going to get any better than Demi Kids. <laughs> Might as well stop the show after that. All right, so uh, let's do a little rundown of what's coming up uh, since we are finally done with Persona. And we, like, let's, let's all give ourselves a round of applause. Doctor, doctor, we did it. Persona 1. It's completely over. Indeed. We are. Sets of us. Uh, yes, we should all be very, very uh, proud of ourselves. <laughs> So next up, like we said, is going to be Strange Journey. We're not too sure. We This might be our first one that goes four episodes long. 
but uh, at the very least, it will be three episodes. Um, and then after that, uh, we're going to do, again, forgive my pronunciation because I have no idea how to pronounce this, Reduo versus the Solist Army. That was pretty close. And we'll actually... Oh, is it? Sort Good. <laughs> oh, Ian, don't, don't insult, uh, like, compliment me and then take it away. That makes me feel worse. <laughs> like a three out of five. Ian... You know what, Ian? Maybe you won't appear on the Riado episode, okay? Oh, no. Okay? <laughs> no, actually, Ian will join us again for the Riado episode. We just dis- discussed that earlier uh, before the recording. So uh, it'll be fun to have you back, Ian. Yeah, but you, you were great. Now that I'm an established podcasting celebrity, uh, my, rates are, my rates are going way up. <laughs> we, can afford, we can afford $5. Ooh, well, yeah. We'll Ooh. negotiate. <laughs> We could, uh, we could afford for you to kick in for some of the fees that we pay to host our podcast. <laughs> and uh, I think this is our first time announcing this. I think originally we thought Persona 5 would be immediately after Soulless Army, but we're going to fit in one more game. We're going to do Soul Hackers. Um, and that'll. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, honestly, if we're. If we stay on schedule, that'll be out around uh, March sometime, late March. So, uh, yeah, then real timely, it's got a lot of uh, VR stuff going on in it. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully, right, uh, we're not, we can't do it, uh, immediately when Persona 5 comes out, but our episodes on Persona 5 will start at the beginning of May, and we're gonna change it up when we get to Persona 5. It's gonna be a weekly episodes, they're probably gonna be shorter episodes because we're gonna basically do it a month at a time per episode and try to get the takes as fresh as we can. It's not going to be as uh, comprehensive or encyclopedic as these other ones are, because we're going to be totally doing it on the fly. There won't be that many guides up. Not everyone will have figured everything out yet. Um, And we definitely are going to miss some stuff and probably knock at all the social links because that shit's hard to do when you're looking at a guide and it's persona five and I don't want to spoil it. Agreed. So with all those caveats, hope you guys will all join us for our persona five marathon when we get up to it. But uh, I think that's pretty much it. I do have a quick plug, actually. Does anyone else have anything before I do my plug? Uh, nothing other than uh, rate and review us on iTunes and uh, drop us a line at megatenmarathon at gmail.com if you have any comments, feedback, thoughts about the games that we're going to be playing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's about it. All right. Yeah, uh, if – if you want to see my work, uh, you can see me at uh, Evan, or you can see me at uh, www.skeleton.com. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what a, that, that's a way better website than uh, Evan.zone. Uh, well, I, you can also view the fine content of Skeleton.zone uh, redirected from uh, www.evannoggle, that is uh, Evan, N-A-U-G-L-E, at uh, .com. <laughs> Evannoggle.com. <laughs> I'm going to start going by my full name next episode, by the way, because... Uh, we're all from the Duckfeed uh, Podcast Network, and there are getting to be too many Evans. There, oh, there are. There are, there. yeah. I almost – actually, that leads into my plug. Uh, I was just on a my first official Duckfeed appearance, which is uh, Radio Free Midworld, a uh, book club uh, dedicated to Stephen King's The Dark Tower series. Uh, I was on uh, the episode about the chapter The Slow Mutants. It uh, will definitely be out by the time this episode's out, or if not, it would be like the next week or so. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I got to the plug section of that. Uh, episode and I decided not to say your name Evan or I guess neither of your names <laughs> mainly because the one of the other Evans had already co-hosted on Radio Free Midworld and I just sort of froze in mid-thought and just was like just skip it just skip it <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, do you have any plugs um, in? Not presently, but by the time I'm on again, I got some stuff cooking, so maybe I will. Oh, man. Ooh, excited. I awesome. think I know what he's talking about. All right. <laughs> so with that, um, one time... Uh, Animorse podcast. <laughs> Sorry. One time when I was a young child, uh, you know, this very strange thing happened to me. I was uh, I just opened a door in my house and just on the other side was not the room that was supposed to be there. It was actually like this. Well, you guys, you guys know the books Chronicles of Narnia, right? It was very much a Narnia situation oh, yeah. where I went through the door. Uh, things were very different and strange. And a man uh, took me aside when once I was in the other dimension over there, and he whispered into my ear something I'll never forget: "Life he, life ho, he ho, it's not fair." 